and welcome to Global LPG Conversations, a podcast that aims to enlighten its listeners on the latest forces affecting the global LPG and NGL markets. In this episode, we will be discussing propane and propylene markets, what's been happening, and where things may go from here. Global LPG Conversations is brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity market information. My name is Chris Mueller, and I'm a principal consultant for LPG here at Argus. And with me today is Sarah Ray, Vice President of Olefins and Derivatives. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for joining, Sarah. Good to be here, Kristen. In the spring, we saw very unusual, never-before-seen price dynamics. Prices went sky-high for propane due to a number of factors. The price of crude had fallen dramatically, and the price of naphtha did as well as demand for gasoline dropped. Propane's value though really held. In Northwest Europe, we saw it at twice the price of naphtha at one point, but butane stayed much closer to naphtha over that same period. And throughout, there was still demand for both propane and butane. I, I know I hear this question often um, with my clients. What is the magic number at which a pet cam operator will switch and will completely cease you know, consumption of propane or butane and completely switch over to naphtha. But clearly it's not that simple. Uh, why is that? You're right, it really isn't that simple. You know, And the decision about a cracker slate composition is really driven by a number of factors and that varies between producers and uh, in terms of those different producers, what their geographical position is and what their contract position is. So. Firstly, you have a tranche of LPG um, and the light gas feed from the local integrated refineries that, that really always stays on the cracker. So you will always see whatever the price is, LPG being used onto the crackers and never dropping to zero. You're right though, price is an important factor. So the relative price of butane or propane compared to the alternative, which for most producers is, is naphtha, but it's really difficult to be specific about that absolute number when they would switch in or out. Because as I said earlier, it varies. Um, and it, one cracker could still be using it uh, where somebody else isn't. And that really brings me on to my, my third point. You know, the feedstock mix is a really important factor for cracker operators in terms of their co-products. So on a cracker, the major product is ethylene, and that's the one that really drives the economics. But earlier this year, when butadiene was demand was really poor, producers were choosing a feedstock mix which helped them to minimize and control the volumes of, the, of that product. And so even we, though we had those relatively high prices, you still saw propane being used and butane being used on those on the crackers. Yeah. So as I say, it's not simple. <laughs> <laughs> so can I just follow up on that? But you said butadiene demand was quite low. So what was happening there? Okay, so butadiene is, is in the pet chems world, we call it C4, and its major use is into the car industry, predominantly for tyres. It's a synthetic rubber. Um, and as you know, the whole the whole of the car industry went through the lockdown and a lot of the workers there were furloughed and the units closed. So really there was almost no C4 demand and people were doing what we call is co-cracking. So you put it back into the cracker. 
Um, they were exporting at very, very low numbers, and they were using that feedstock mix to, to really minimize the production. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, thank yeah. you. Um, you know, I just wanted to take a look forward and think about, you know, where we think maybe the market is going. Uh, our expectation uh, is that propane and butane prices will be quite benign, both in terms of relative to naphtha and in absolute terms. And for our price forecast, we start with crude and our outlook there has turned probably a bit more bearish over the last couple of weeks. And that's due to a couple of things. So COVID concern, uh, there's been more product available uh, from OPEC plus producers as well as the US. We had thought US crude production would be um, more negatively impacted by COVID uh, than, it, than it has been. Um, and globally, there is this quite sizable um, product overhang that needs to get work through. And so, you know, we're seeing prices rise, certainly, but that's, you know, always due to some seasonality impacts. We've got the, you know, the start of the normal winter heating season. The EIA has just come out and said, you know, they expect the winter to be a bit colder, so that will drive um, uh, more demand for propane in the U.S., which is a relatively uh, large residential market. Uh, we've also got crop drying uh, happening in the U.S., but then that's all being sort of counterbalanced by really high supplies of uh, propane stocks are near at or near five um, year highs um, and production has held up, um, you know, really, really well. One risk to that, um, that, that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on is the U.S. China um, trade relationship. So that's really come roaring back with uh, the uh, curtailment of tariffs. But, you know, that's obviously subject uh, to political wins. Uh, you know, our view is that there's too many winners at, from that relationship continuing for it to be sort of um, put on hold again. But, uh, you know, logic doesn't always prevail. No, it doesn't. And, you know, the outcome of the election is uh, always unpredictable. But I think the recovery of the Chinese economy and that demand pull for LPG has been remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we think of the Chinese PDH plants as being a supporting factor on the price side. Um, Absolutely. So can you yeah. speak a little bit more about that? So, yeah, the Chinese PDH plants, we've now got something like 33 new PDHs in our 10-year balance, which is a huge build program, um, and a big proportion of that is in, is in China. Um, the amount of propylene on a global basis that is made on PDHs is, is going to grow in the next five years from something like 11% of the world total in 2019 up to about 15%, which when you look at the total market, that's a really big proportionate growth. And we're getting to the stage where it needs the PDHs to run. It needs them to be profitable. And in our view, looking forward, those PDHs will stay profitable, especially with your relatively benign outlook for propane pricing generally. And that will continue to pull propane into China. We see it right now in the market at the moment where, you know, the demand in Europe is pretty good um, and we're pulling, we're pulling product into Europe, but not as strong as that Chinese demand. And Chinese pricing is higher currently and Asian pricing is higher uh, because they are pricing it to make it move from the US into China. 
So if you're if you're saying that the PDHs are going to run, those are definitely economic. Which are the units which might be running at a lower utilization or or you know, maybe shut down? Okay, now that's a good question. And again, uh, as always with pet chems, it's not a simple answer. You know, there's lots of sources for propylene nowadays. It comes out of crackers, uh, depending on the feedstock mix. Um, it's made on refineries as a co-product to gasoline. Uh, and PDHs are on-purpose units. And because they're on-purpose, they don't suffer as much variability as some of the other units. So we talked earlier about butadiene being a constraint on European crackers in Q2. That won't be the case with the PDH. So, you know, this growth in terms of going up to 15% by 2024 is likely to, to keep those, the, those units running, yeah? And I think, you know, we, we've, we've talked before about, you know, the European market, um, and I'm interested, you know, why is it that Europe seems to be able to ha gain access to uh, propane at uh, an LPG at, at relatively good prices compared to other regions? Yeah. Well, then, so that's a good question. And, um, you know, Europe obviously has some of its, you know, own supplies and some quite uh, large producers uh, nearby Norway and Algeria. But it also sits at this crossroads sort of between Russia and the US. And one thing I think that's been an interesting development this year is that Russian exports have really fallen um, fallen to a much lower level. Um, and that's because of a couple things, we think. So that's because you know there's been obviously an impact on Russian production due to OPEC um, plus cuts. Um, there's a new pet chem plant that's open. I will not uh, try to- Yeah, the big, the big, <laughs> the big zap sib plant yes, yes absolutely yes. yeah stick, stick um, with the short name <laughs> um so the, so the lpg that's um going into that plant had per, uh, previously been exported through usluga so you see a lot um lower volumes going there and then also i think really interestingly we've started to see um volumes going into china and it's, that's not been consistent, but just this month, they've actually announced the construction of the first LPG terminal in Eastern Russia. That would be a seaborne terminal. It's expected to be um, exporting around a million tons a year uh, when it starts exports in early 2022. So you know, that then makes it a much more interesting east-west um, dynamic uh, right. from Russia. Yeah. And, and so that that may you know end up pressuring I think European buyers, but then you know the U.S. is also a an, um, a source of exports, but their European buyers have to compete a little bit um, with Asian buyers as well. So you know there is certainly plenty of you know plenty of product, um, but just interesting competitive dynamics I think that are happening. Right. Yes. And and likewise, you know, how are how, how are the crackers faring in that kind of market? Well, actually, through through COVID, um, the European crackers have been doing pretty well. Um, not necessarily running at absolutely full rates, but effective rates of somewhere 88, 90 percent most of this year. There's been good demand and better than expected demand, particularly for 
packaging. Uh, with everyone sat at home, we've been eating more food from supermarkets and um, that has really driven demand across across the sector. And since, you know, the industry has opened up again after the big lockdowns, then there's been stronger demand for all the other petrochemicals products. So, you know, Europe has been pulling feedstock in. Um, and when, you know, it makes sense, we've seen them cracking a lot of butane or a lot, a lot of propane on the crackers. But I think the key thing to say, and it's one of the things that people don't necessarily understand about the crackers is that they're flexible so if it doesn't make sense to them there's a tranche of this LPG that just doesn't get put on the units um, and all the reasons I we talked about earlier um, means that it, it's been uh, there's been a reasonable amount of LPG cracked this year but it's really um, a flexibility issue so they, they won't use it if it doesn't make sense and they can go back pretty much 100% to NAFTA if, if they want to, yeah. In other regions, it's slightly different, yeah. And maybe that's, you know, when we talk about the bigger trends. Oh. Yeah. I think um, I think that's interesting. I think, you know, sort of is a nice tie back to the beginning of the conversation talking about, you know, why, why people uh, switch in and out isn't entirely just a, a percentage game. Um, you know, I think just to uh, you know, get us to a conclusion, this has been um, so interesting. I just wanted to think about uh, when we consider a world beyond COVID, you know, when we think about, you know, what might be keeping us up at night in 2022, say, you know, what are some of the things that you think you might um, be thinking about? Um, I think for the petrochemicals, both for ethylene and propylene, which are the two big drivers from an olefins perspective, then what we're seeing is, is two or three big trends. We've got overcapacity of both, which means that the guys who've got the cheapest feedstock will run lightly the hardest. That's ethane in the US and ethane from the Middle East. And that will put pressure maybe on European and on um, Asian operating rates. I think a growing trend right through the petrochemical sector is this focus on uh, CO2 emissions, greener feedstocks, plastics recycling. And we're hearing about that really very widely across all of our client base about all the projects they're putting in place to get um, green naphtha, green feedstocks onto the crackers. And that could eat in and, and, and change some of the decision making when it comes around feedstocks as well. Um, I think Europe is becoming a sort of uh, starting to talk about a carbon border. So within Europe, we have um, people who are companies where you are forced to invest uh, to make sure you're carbon neutral or at least your carbon footprint is that much smaller. And therefore, people importing products into Europe will also be forced either from a duty perspective or from their own operating perspective in their own countries to meet those same standards. And that's a really big growing trend. How about you? Uh, that's really interesting. I, I had not uh, heard about that. I was, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, that comes about. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, somewhat similar to you i think in a you know world where we're not always talking about uh covid19 the things that we would probably be really trying 
to think about and make sure that we understood and were modeling um, correctly is probably some of this this energy transition. Um, you know, for for me, I obviously you know care about how OPG is being used in the pet chem industry, but also um, in the residential sector. Um, and so there, you know, I think LPG is probably a fuel where uh, it both gains and loses from the energy transition. So it gains when you've got uh, customers, um, consumers who are switching from kerosene, firewood, uh, some of those, you know, definitely dirtier fuels into LPG. And, you know, that's certainly driven the Indian market um, over the last couple of years. Uh, but then it's also a loser on the other side when we've got uh, people switching from, you know, perhaps heating their home with LPG uh, to moving to renewables. And so right. I think, and 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 as you said, also the the green feedstock um, conversation is is absolutely something that's happening and is just getting kind of drowned out right now. Um, so right. you know that's definitely something that that the uh, the LPG uh, producers care about. Yeah. Really interesting. Now that was great. It was great to to chat with you today, Kristen. Well, thank you uh, so much for your time, Sarah. Um, I know we have to draw to a close now. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you all for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to tune in for other episodes in our series, Global LPG Conversations. For more information on Argus's LPG and NGL product coverage, please visit argusmedia.com stroke LPG and GL.